everybody, and welcome to Poplar Propcast. I am Justin Libernet, and I'm very pleased to have a guest with us today that knows a ton about Ohio real estate and the rental market there. I've got with me Mitch Dobrinsky of Solutions for Real Estate. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Justin, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a beautiful day. Vegas is weather has turned nice. Not All cool, right, so nice. When How's I your... get to Vegas, you're going to buy me a pop, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Show you around a little bit. We can drive in the Jeep with the top down. Oh, boy. <laughs> How's Columbus doing right now? Are you good on weather? Uh, we are good today. 85 and sunny. Is, is Ohio normally a place where people move to for the weather? No. We run. <laughs> um, yeah, we run to anywhere else but here if we can help it. So Interesting. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through how you ended up where you are, and then we're going to dive into the peculiarities of the Ohio rental market, where it's been, where it is, and where it's going. So with that, can you tell me about how uh, you first got encountered real estate? You first said, yes, I'm going to go in this direction and jump into this. Sure. Um, I'll keep it short as I can. Um, so... Uh, I was in a in the phone business in the 90s, right? All the telecom boom that was going on. Um, me and my two partners decided we were going to sell. And what are we going to do next? Uh, so I started looking into it. And I, I did like everybody else. I looked at the Subway franchise. I looked at um, <laughs> other ways to uh, make money. And I, I was watching late night television. This is before the internet. Uh, so I'm showing my age here and I'm watching late night television and I'm seeing, Hey, no money down. I made 600,000 in 18 months. And I'm thinking to myself, Hmm, who are these yahoos doing this? I'm sure I can. Uh, I was smart enough to know that they were selling boot camps and tapes and books, cassette tapes back then. So, uh, I went to a place called Barnes and Noble. You're just, you're just pulling out all the antiquated. That's right. I got, I got We're going to talk about the so telecom boom, late night TV, and bookstores, brick That's and mortars. Right. Let's do this. That's right. Uh, so I would go there, get a latte, and read for free, trying to get my hands on a lot of information on real estate. And part of that criteria was uh, I didn't want employees. I wanted something that was passive. I didn't want retail. I didn't want to get that call because my employee didn't show up for a shift. Yeah. Um, so real estate, I'm a pretty handy guy anyway. It just made sense to me. And obviously going to Barnes & Noble, I was thirsting for knowledge. So anytime I ran, it, uh, I ran across an OG that was doing uh, property management or any kind of investing, I was just starving for that information. Um, I wanted to learn from the old guys. What do I need to know? And I ran into this guy that um, told me, uh, again, I'm like, look, I need to find out how it's done. I know <laughs> that they're selling books and tapes. What do I need to know? Tell me. Right. And the one guy told me, he said, look, you don't make money for 10 years in real estate. My response was, yeah. But I'm smart, meaning I understand that it's risky and I'm willing to educate myself, thirst for knowledge. And obviously, this is before bigger pockets. 
um, which I would have just been all over that um, yeah. back in the day. So I understood that um, the company that bought us, we were in Kansas City. We were, we were starting a family and uh, we moved back to Ohio. We wanted to be close to our family. My wife, Susie, is from Lansing, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we moved here in 1998 in Columbus, um, built a house, bought a 15 unit, bought a 24 unit. My son was born, Matt, um, within 90 days of coming here. And I'm like, all right, I got to figure it out. You know, everything's on the up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, I quickly found out I hated campus management. Uh, it was a lot of babysitting, a lot of helicopter moms. And, um, when you say campus management, your, your multifamilies were, um, on for university. That's right. Um, you know, that means a lot of turnover almost every semester, right? That's right. Well, every year there was, you know, at least 50% turnover and obviously your entire campus area. Remember we have 60,000 people at the Ohio state university and, um, it's, I mean, you're in a tight window. You have 10 days, 14 days to turn properties and, um, there's a lot of work and I started buying single family with uh, my broker at the time. And, you know, we put somebody in there and it's like, wait a minute, they're not calling me and I don't <laughs> even, you know, everything's good. So it, it kind of clicked for me. Um, as you probably know, single family, there's less turnover and yeah. that made sense to me. I wanted something slow and steady. Um, 2001 started the brokerage solutions for real estate. And I found out I was really good at finding deals. Here, let's do a let's do a pause right there because I think there's okay. two things that are interesting to talk about. Okay. The first one is the late night infomercial guys that you were seeing. Those were guys that were selling tape courses and all that stuff. If you go further back, there, you used to be able to send out for records, and the record would tell you how to how to meet a girl or how to, it was crazy. Like there was all this yeah. mail order stuff, right? And then there's the late night infomercial where it's called the one eight hundred number, three easy payments of nine ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And now we have Instagram and TikTok real estate influencers whose vast majority of their money isn't coming from real estate, but is coming from courses that they've put together and sell online. Yeah. And so you have this all happening in whatever medium there is, whether it's late night TV or whether it's the internet and Instagram. But you also have the rise of kind of power players that have a lot of good information. Like you mentioned Bigger Pockets. Oh, yeah. Um, Bigger Pockets, I think that Inman's reporting network is really good. And they're out there and they're pushing good information. So it's it's really nice that we're kind of swamped with new stuff that lets Mm -hmm. us get to stuff freer and easier than it was where you had to go to Barnes and Noble and spend probably the equivalent of a, a semesters of coursework and reading to get there. Right. Right. So yeah. I, I think that that pivot and that change is interesting, right? Yeah, it, it is. And we have uh, the, the final piece of it is if you listen to all everything that's available out there. And again, it is great content. It just lays down the foundation. When I take a call from a new investor, it is a it is a therapy session, yeah. Because the last part of it is is getting them across. What do I do now? All right, you're qualified. Um, 
Now we would need to make sure that your first property is a great property. And it starts with the area and the condition and all that stuff. So it's so important, especially for out-of-state investors, to have the boots on the ground. And yeah. boots on the ground that starts for us is please include us on the inspection because your inspector is going to tell you what's wrong with the furnace, how long you have left on the roof. And I'm going to tell you, hey, when you buy this thing or when the tenant leaves, you better have 12 grand ready to go to make it rent ready. And yeah. that's part of the acquisition. Yeah. And a lot of people don't do that. And sometimes I'm the bad cop that has to come in. But in, in your experience, so that that space where you're talking about the I, I, naivety of the investor sounds insulting, but I, it's it's just there's a lack of exposure to a lot of these pieces. So it's it's not willful ignorance. It's just not knowing. It's not having been yeah. exposed to all these weird laws and pieces that fit together for not owning and living a house where you can turn the water off or the gas off and figure that out, but being remote and having somebody that in it that doesn't know how to do that. Like it's this right. whole stack of communication that's missing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to, I went through it. You can ask my wife, I went through it at the, you can only know so much. And then yeah. when you get your first one, you find out you don't know anything. Um, <laughs> now that's you're involving, it's the people part that is the finesse, the strategy part of it. And yeah, so there's, you know, you got to build up the trust. They got to feel like, man, this person knows what they're talking about. I trust that they're going to look out for my interest. And that pairs with the managing of expectations where trust that I know what I'm doing and that it will take a minute. Sometimes you can't get an AC fixed same day when it's 110 outside. Right. That's a challenge. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, in the dead of winter, when the heat goes out, it's going to be harder to get somebody there because they're all busy. And so well, you know, that, that's a complication. I, yeah. And I feel like our tenants are sometimes taken care of better than the homeowner. So think about this. If you're not, you know, let's say you're not in property management. I am. And I know a guy, right? Yeah. Uh, but my neighbor across the street, when his air conditioning goes out, he has no idea who to call. He's in line True. three or four days later. Now, a tenant is on the phone demanding, hey, I pay rent. I expect my air conditioning to work. And they're expecting somebody there in four hours. So it's yeah. really interesting, that side of it. And it's only because, you know, entitlement's not the right word. Um, but that's where you're, again, setting expectations on, hey, you and everybody else, it's 90 degrees out. We're all trying to fix this yeah. stuff. And I think my tenants get better service than a typical homeowner. I think that's a that's an interesting position. And I don't disagree with you on that. I know that when I, when I had my first rental property, I took care of that better than my own property. Because right. I can live with some of these little rough around the edges pieces. But when you're renting, you can't have them. <laughs> You can't have it. Oh, well, I, I have to know that I can't flush these two toilets at once or else the this is going to back up and flood into the yard so I don't do it. It has to be fixed. It right. has to work. Right. right. It has to be what they, uh, you know, what they walked in. You know, hey, you said I get air conditioning. I should have air conditioning. Um, and then there's a safety issue. You know, is it a safety issue that we need to be taken right. care of? Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. The 
The other thing that you were talking about that I think is really interesting is the transition from managing academic to managing single family, because that's Poplar Homes' early transition. The very right. first incarnation of the company, One Rent, mm-hmm. was about solving that problem for where the C-suite was going to school. So mm-hmm. uh, Chuck and Greg and Rico were all going to school together, and they recognized the problem of getting all the landlords and all the possible tenants in one place at one time. Mm-hmm. And they solved that problem. And then they went, wait, we're not going to have this problem again for a year. What do we do? Right. And so they started right. looking around and did just what you did. They said, well, mm-hmm. some of these people have single family homes that we can manage. And mm-hmm. so the pivot was very similar is okay. recognizing the, the dynamism in academic means that it's just, it's, it's always changing. It's super, it's super uh, turbulent. Right. And so yeah. That and there's also a lot more wear and tear on the properties in that space, so that that transitions out. So I just thought that was interesting. I didn't know if you knew about their their uh, origin. I I read that. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's let's get back into the loop. You were at 2001, and you were you were just starting your brokerage. Started the brokerage. I uh, was really good at finding deals back then and helping investors buy properties for them. And I became the resource. Hey, do you know a plumber? Can you help me find a tenant? And it's like, holy crap, I might as well go do property management. So we started in that. And uh, so we also had a real estate brokerage sales side um, at our peak in 2007. Uh, if we know what happened then. Uh, we had I've heard something with the economy, right? Something. Uh, I don't know. Free money. Uh, but... Uh, um, we had 52 agents at that time. We probably had 130 uh, doors that we we're managing, and we had only managed people that we bought for, uh, helped them buy properties. Uh, we, our focus just wasn't on property management, even though I was still buying properties. Um, and we ended up um, in 07, 08, we dropped our agents to half because they were order takers anyway. And we are in that perfect spot. We already had a history of being here in town and the accidental landlord arrived and we are in the right place at the right time. Um, went through a couple partners in 2010. Um, but to back up real quick, yeah. um, in 2001, you know, I was, I've, I was in 2001, so three years later, I was already out of the campus stuff and I was buying single family at that point. And at that time, as you know, it was so easy to buy property. Yeah. And I already had over a million dollars in property. I'm like, I'm going to buy $10 million in property. No rhyme or reason. Right. So, um, so I started buying and, you know, it takes money to buy the next one and all that stuff. And then, 2008, 2009 happens, and I got my butt handed to me. And in 2010, so now I'm 12 years into being an investor. I didn't make money yet. And I'm starting thinking about the economy. <laughs> you don't make yeah. money for 10 years. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, you didn't have a 2008 either. Yeah. But, um, so again, I go back. Now I have the internet. And I'm searching for answers. And I think one of the questions that uh, if you have an investor that's been doing it five or 10 years, the question is, how much is enough, right? 
right. how do you know how much is enough property to have? So, um, so I get on this thing called the internet and I Google um, setting your real estate goals. You know, how much is enough? And here comes this article and it says setting your real estate goals. First line, Justin, I'm not kidding. First line in there says, if you think you need $10 million in property, you have an ego problem. I'm like, that's awesome. I have an ego problem. <laughs> so the article goes into, and I think this is, I, I tell this story as much as I can to my clients because it's kind of just summarizes what we're trying to do as an investor. Real estate investing is sexy. Um, you know, the, the standard retirement uh, program is work for a company or work for the government. You've got a pension. You're putting money away in your 401k. Here comes real estate. Sexy. Let's figure out a way to have a dividend of real estate. Um, let's get some rental property so we can replace our income someday. That's what we're really trying to do. Yeah. How much money do I need to live on every month? So this article breaks it down and it says for every dollar of scheduled rent, you can count on 50 cents year in, year out for the rest of your life. Said, okay, wait a minute. So if I have $10,000 of rents coming in, so that's 10 units and a thousand bucks a piece, I will make five grand a month after the mortgage is paid off. Right. Year in, year out for the rest of my life. So this is owning the property free and clear. Owning it free and clear. At this so I'm like, hmm, where am I at now? And I can go into my numbers, but I won't unless you want me to. I know okay. what need I to. was. Yeah. And I'm like, and I started looking at my I, you know, I took out my debt load and I was looking at my numbers. My number is actually sixty-three percent. So I was doing better than that. So 50% is a good mark. You're probably going to do better than 50%. And the other 50% is going toward taxes, insurance, vacancy, rehab, capital, yeah. everything, everything. Yeah. So, and some months you're making, you know, half that. And some months you're making more than that, you know, as, as you got major repairs coming up or empties or whatever. Um, so once I started figuring that out, I was like, okay. At the same time, again, I'm searching for answers. I found Dave Ramsey. Okay. Yeah. He, I, I like a lot of his stuff. I don't agree with him on debt for uh, real estate, um, but he makes a good point. But I did what they call the debt snowball, which he talks about. And I re-ranked my properties from lowest to highest as far as my mortgages. And I said, what if I just threw an extra thousand dollars towards the principal on this lowest one? Yeah. And right about the when I paid off my third one, okay, the OG was right. That old guy was right. And I started, I'm like, okay, I see. Now, fast forward, I've not taken one dime from my portfolio. It's always been my 401k. Mm -hmm. And I've always rolled it back into buying more properties. Uh, paying off debt or capex stuff. Today I own 31 properties. That's so, great. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and 
So your investment strategy has really been about the long-term goals. And there's some short-term pieces in there, but a lot of the short-term gets funneled right back into the portfolio, right back into expanding the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a, well, actually more like a 401k where you're kind of keeping it in there and not touching it until later. That's, that's when we get downstream, then it's going to do its job. Right now, it's, its job is to accrete. Its job is to build. Its job is to be in condition that it'll last longer and take care of me forever. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And I know people disagree. Oh, why you pay it off? You know, your returns. I go, you know, people talk about returns and uh, I get that. Um, uh, however, uh, there's no risk involved when the property is paid off. I'm not going to be handing it back yeah. to the bank. I can handle um, any kind of fluctuations. Are we going through one right now? Not in Columbus. Um, so the risk gets off the table real quick um, because I've got this stuff paid off. Um, and you know what? If you think about it, and I can, you know, net worth and how many units, I don't care. I want to know how much money I'm going to have next month to pay for my bills. Yeah. And the sooner I get there, the sooner I'm going to be okay, you know? Yeah. So your, your long-term play is, is very safe and you, yeah. you've got it in place. Um, and that's interesting because there's, I think that I've encountered more of the two extremes. I don't see a lot of real estate investors that kind of dabble in the middle and have both approaches. A lot of them are either leverage to expand, leverage to expand, leverage to expand. But you're saying, once you get it paid off, your cash flow increases where you don't have to leverage to expand, you cash flow to expand. Right. Yeah. I, when I, you know, when I coach people, I don't say coach, but my clients, it's free coaching, I guess. When I talk to them, I, I, I say, look, don't over leverage. Let's be smart about it. You know, have some equity in it. You're going to have to put money down or whatever. But, um, you're in acquisition mode, so you need to have capital to go buy. And right. let's pick your number, Justin. If your mm -hmm. numbers, you need to make ten grand a month to live on, so you need to go out and buy twenty properties that bring in a thousand dollars a month. And yeah, if you can wait twenty years. I can guarantee you ten grand a month. I can't guarantee you, but it works. It's extremely and likely that you'll the question have. Is, can you wait twenty years? and be guaranteed 10 grand a month for the rest of your life. Are you okay with that? Yeah. And people say, yeah, I am. So the people that have been Let's managing for, for five, eight years. Yeah. And they say, you know what? It does take 10 years. I'm like I know. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Um, I've in my, in my minor investing career. So my properties that I've had are incidental. Like I bought them as a primary home and then something mm -hmm. happened where I move. And so it became a rental. Or recently, I, I'm in a new relationship, so I need a different house that has different space. And so as those things happen and I rent out the others, it's a very casual kind of soft own. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that for, for us at, at Poplar Homes, there's a, a large number of our homeowners have one or two properties. And so it's the incidental owners. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really interesting if you're a Poplar Homes client to start thinking about that, to start thinking about what you want to do. And if you want to increase your portfolio, how you'll do that. Cause I, I agree with you very much on this, Mitch, that there's a huge, 
huge opportunity out there to set yourself up for a 10, 20 year plan and not a, well, I have this and I'm getting, it's, you know, it's my, it's my mad money. It's my vacation money. It's, it's spare for the home. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're, you know, if someone comes in and says, yeah, I bought four properties, I'm quitting my job. That's all I'm going to do is live off my rentals. Oh. Like, oh no! Don't no! Don't don't stay well, with your five grand a piece. <laughs> so I mean, I got you know, I got these crypto bros that call me that are all oh. hot on it, and um, and I was like that a little bit, you know. I was like, yeah, let's go, but um. You know, I'm here. I've this is what I've learned. You want to know from me. This is why you're hiring me to do this. And I offer to all my clients. If you want to talk about strategy, I love talking about this stuff. So um, let's get you there. You just gotta wait 20 years. Yeah. So this is an this is an interesting point to kind of pivot. So with your 31 properties, are you all in Columbus, all in Ohio, or where do they land at geographically? So they're all in central Ohio, except for one. Um, I do have a house in, in Siesta Key. In Siesta so, Key? Yeah. In Florida? Yeah. Um, just bought it. We're renovating it right now, and we're going to use it as ourselves. And obviously, we're going to use it um, as a vacation-type rental. Gotcha. I'm learning, I'm learning a ton about because we hired a management company down there. Completely different. Um, structure the way they do it. it's more hospitality like airbnb yeah um so you got to be a little bit on point uh well you have to be on point for any management but hey my uh my battery doesn't work in my remote control yeah you know hey the internet's out yes <laughs> that's yes. a big one my air conditioning doesn't work <laughs> i had a so the property here I had for an Airbnb for a while, and then we did an episode on that a couple ago. But the second guests I had in, the gas company came through and was digging up the street at six o'clock on a Saturday. So they're calling me Saturday morning. They got in Friday night, had a great time in Vegas, and they want to sleep in. And I'm like, I have no control <laughs> for what yeah. construction happens in the street. I did not know about it. I did not plan for it. I apologize. And so I ended up refunding part of their money because I want them to be happy, but it's also something that's out of my control. So it's, it's right. if you have a long-term renter, then it's not as much of a problem. But if they're three days and one day is awful, yeah. that's a lot harder to get past. And, and it is highly um, gauged, highly gauged on your reviews, you know? So yeah. you, if you don't have 4.5 stars at a place, all of a sudden you're losing money. And yeah. um, I got to, you know, and like you said, you don't have control over what's going on around you. And you people are demanding, on, hey, I pay good money to be here. Yeah, I expect the best. And, you know, this was for my mom's birthday that's turning. Yeah. Into, you know, so you can get, you know. So, yeah, it's you're tough. Yeah, and Airbnb is very interesting on the way they do reviews because for superhost status and that kind of thing, they need 4.8 or above. And as a consumer, most of the people that are going to the Airbnb don't realize that side of it. So one of the things that's been very helpful to me is not just educating people 
at Moving, like saying, hey, we hope you have a five-star experience. If anything makes it not so, please let us know. We'll try and fix it. And then we have a, a sticker on the fridge that says, here's how Airbnb's rating system work. Five is nothing's perfect, but it was good and it was what I expected because that's what Airbnb is thinking where the right. consumer comes in and goes, fives must be perfect. It was, it had one or two things wrong. So it's, it's a four, this part's a three. It's like, no, that's, that means it was bad. If you're at a three, you should be asking for a refund. Right. So that's, that's that piece is different. Idea. That piece is different. I'll send you the, uh, that, the link to those signs. I think you, you nailed it when you said people think that five is perfect when five should actually be what you expected. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to use that. I'm sorry, Justin. No, take it. Go for it. it I have no me. problem with that at all. <laughs> um, the So that's your Florida property. And then most of yours are in Columbus. So the Columbus market then has been strong enough for you to buy and expand over the past 15, 20 years now? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Even through the downturn? So the downturn, we actually did a lot of REO stuff. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Probably my best deal that I have. REOs um, are bank owned, correct? Yeah, yeah, real estate owned properties uh, from a bank. We got hooked into a bank um, that gave out a lot of toxic loans to investors, kind of like <laughs> what's going on now. Um, yeah. Um, very easy to get money. And the bank called us and said, hey, I'm sending over a client. We want you to manage this. And wink, wink, nudge, nudge, don't ever send them any money because they're not paying us. Oh. <laughs> so we were kind of an asset manager um, until they kind of worked it out. And this bank, they actually staged out when they were going to write off that money to make sure that it didn't look worse than it was to their stockholders. Okay. Yeah, that's that's not surprising. That's a very common quarterly play. Right. So we would get the call uh, saying, hey, list this stuff. And I would see these properties going for $10,000, $20,000. And I would say, is it a conflict of interest if I buy this? And they're like, no, if you want to take it, go ahead. I was very selective on what I took. And when we were wrapping up that whole relationship, I got a call from the CFO. It was about three months. Um, it was three months after we did anything. And he said, Hey, I got these two last properties. What will you offer me on it? And I'm like, man, I'm kind of tapped out right now. I'm not looking and, you know, and reload the cash and, uh, he said, I'll just figure something out. So I went home and talked to Susie and, how much money we have. And, and I called him up and said, look, I got these two houses. I don't know. I'll pay you 42,000 for it. And he said, okay, take it, draw it up. I'm like, I left money on the table. It's just at 30. No. So today those properties are worth over 300. That was 2014. Yeah. 14. So that was probably my best deal, but um, I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So to expand on that, as you manage other people's property in Columbus, when you're doing that and when you're advising your clients, how do you talk to them about the Columbus market specifically? Because it sounds like some of these guys are not from Columbus. They're buying from out of state. Yeah, I would say that 80% um, of my calls that come in are out of state. 
Um, you know, they're getting out of the West Coast, honestly. Very, we have yes. very rarely people coming from the East Coast. Um, so, you know, when, when they're calling me up, um, you got to remember my, my point of reference is uh, what I paid for properties. And, you know, you all are crazy for paying this much for it. But relative to where they're coming from to what it is, it's a good deal. So I always start the conversation, what makes sense to you? You know, if you bought a $200,000 property, what do you expect in rents? What makes right. sense to you? So I kind of put it back on them because, um, like I said, some of this stuff doesn't make sense to me, but they need to push their money somewhere else. That's yeah. fine. Um, but, so it sounds like some of these buyers are are moving their leverage. They're looking at how successful their investment was in a coastal state, California, New York. And they're going, okay, I want to try and do that leverage again. Let's move it to the next market. And they think that's Columbus. Is that kind of the shape? Yeah. And kudos to, again, bigger pockets for talking about being the, a remote investor. You know, they got people writing books about it on how to be yeah. a remote investor. Um, I'm, still have even though i'm a remote investor i'm still not a fan of it um just because i like to see it and touch it and feel it so um obviously we put things in place where we want to inform our clients of what's going on i uh am pretty adamant about them coming to columbus first and finding out what it even looks like here (laughs) it's not a cow town not anymore. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a pretty big city. It is. We're like the, you know, depending on what poll you're looking at, we're 12th or 14th largest. We're, we're larger than, I actually looked at this. I mean, we're bigger than San Francisco, Denver, Seattle, D.C., Nashville. You know, those are all hot cities. Um, you're talking about the metro area, right? Yeah. How big yeah. is the metro area? That expands metro pretty area. far yeah. out, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a large area. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you almost sit there, you sit there right in between Akron, Dayton, and Cincinnati, and you kind of take up all that vacuum in the middle, right? Well, the there's Cleveland, too, um, oh, which yeah. was a large city back in the day. Um, yeah, so Central Ohio... Again, I moved here in 1998 because I heard good things about Columbus. I went to school at the Ohio State University. So um, when I was here, it was a joke. It was um, uh, we're Cowtown. And uh, people got their degree and they left. Um, Today, you know, the average student is a 4.0. It's a higher education university. We have uh, state government. We've got. The limited brands, Wendy's International is here, White Castle, um, a lot of insurance companies, Safe Auto is here. Um, and, and just to be clear for the listeners, when he's talking about White Castle, he doesn't mean they have a White Castle. There's there's a, a oh, corporate headquarters, headquarters here. Yeah, there's it's much bigger than having a White Castle. Right. We were the we are the restaurant mecca. We're like the perfect slice of Americana to try a restaurant. Uh, at least back in the day, it was. And a lot of restaurants started here. Um, 
Um, and our why do you think that is? Why do you think Columbus was conducive to that? And why do you think they're bringing their headquarters there? I think we are a slice of Americana. You know, we're a little bit of everything. Um, we're just a little bit of everything. You know, we're, we have a Rickenbacker Airport, which is more of our um, commercial, you know, transport type of facility. And, you know, we're, we're eight hour drive from like two thirds of the population. Um, and we're, huh. we can bounce, you can bounce through uh, Columbus real quick. So distribution is huge um, here in Columbus. Are you guys a, a shipping hub then too? Do you have a lot of shipping? Yes. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So as all that stuff grows and as you guys get bigger and bigger and you get more expensive too, uh, what kind of population pressures and uh, social pressures does that put on the core of Columbus? Right. So obviously like the people that just have cows aren't living where they used to live. That's right. (laughs) The cows are further out. Yeah. So in uh, obviously Oh five, Oh six, we're at the peak and we just start building out and out. You know, if you look at Columbus, we have 270, which is the outer belt. It's a target, right? We've got the core downtown and then you're getting more and more out. Um, I mean, you can get pretty much anywhere in Columbus right now in 15 minutes, uh, which is... How's, is there a traffic issue at all, or it's just all real easy to get around? Well, I'll tell you, I will not be traveling on a Friday at 3.30 through Columbus, right? But I think that's Got any it. town. That's true, um, yeah. But you, you know, you manage that, but it's still not bad. Um, yeah. A ton of construction going on. But as, uh, as we've grown out, uh, obviously, like every other big city we have affordable housing issue uh, getting gentrified and pushing people uh, out to different neighborhoods um, you know there's certain neighborhoods that that are just too dangerous to manage in um, but all you know we have three main areas that I, I try and stay away from but all of central Ohio is on the plate for um, finding yeah. investment property um, do you guys have any issues with um unhoused people that can't find anywhere to live and so they're camping uh, in trailers yeah. or living in the streets it's it's creeping up um there's a lot of programs out there for people um the question is where are they going to go um yeah. you know especially <clears throat> the affordable housing part um they're the city's trying to figure it out it's a complicated issue it is so uh, in vegas it's really interesting because we have this giant network of tunnels underneath the city that are there to route floods down right. to Lake Mead. So those get full of people. People go live down there because we don't have floods that often. We just went through a monsoon season, but we haven't really had one for two years. Right. So going that long without rain, people get pretty set up mm-hmm. and it's pretty dangerous down there. We have a, a, there's a group of people that are funded by the, the, the city government or the county government actually that go in when there's, floods warnings and go down there and tell them and go, Hey, GTFO, this is going to fly. Yeah. Uh, We had a a guy build a bunch of mini houses. He bought a piece of land and he bought, built a bunch of mini houses. And then the County tore them down because it was against zoning. But now the County's looking at a couple of abandoned old motels and turning those Mm -hmm. into transitional housing. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of ideas out there. There's a lot of tension between nimbyism yimbyism and then just the population pressure so do you guys have any when you talk about programs do you know of anything like that that people are trying or trying to get going 
I mean, huge initiative with city council trying to, obviously it can be, things are getting fixed with money, right? So that's either money that's getting poured into Section 8 type programs, trying to make up the difference. Um, It's funny because when you go talk to city council or you go to affordable housing, uh, I went to a thing with uh, Denison University because they wanted to get my perspective on it. And they asked, how do we, how do we get uh, affordable houses in front of, uh, you know, the people that need it? I said, well, just yeah. go on apartments.com and search for two bedrooms that are under $1,200. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I go, Section 8 will pay $1,200 for a two bedroom here. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, not yeah putting the, so- the piece together. They're there. The subsidies are coming obviously from city of Columbus going into the, the coffers of section. So as, so I'm going to ask you this with your property manager hat on. Um, I know that in different places, in different States, section eight is counted as income and other places it's not counted as income in Ohio. Do you know which way it rolls? So last June Columbus uh, said source of income is now a protected class. That means it's a, that it counts that as is, income. That's the city of Columbus. A couple other little cities, but once oh, it gotcha. counts out, you are not. Oh, interesting. So Cleveland doesn't count Section 8, but Columbus will count. I don't know about Cleveland. Okay. So I only know. I, I picked you know, a bigger city. Away. <laughs> uh, so say Asheville. Or... Um, they are not. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, if you go um, where I live, if you go two blocks north, it is not. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's the city of Columbus. Yeah. So here's here's the other thing that hits on that, though, too, is that if you're going, cool, we found a two-bedroom apartment that's less than $1,200, so Section 8 can pay for it. The other side is a lot of property managers require three times rent in income. And so if you're living below the poverty line, fully qualify for Section 8 and could have that house, you may not qualify anyway. But you have to consider um, it's different. That's all That's all the city council will tell you. It's different. Uh, source of income makes up the difference. But yeah, you're right. Three times the income. Right, so if I got to make 3600 a month, 1200 of that is section eight. I'm good, but I don't make 2400 a month because I'm, you know, part-time minimum wage mm-hmm. raising kids. Mm-hmm. God, that's brutal. Yeah. It is. Sorry, I'm just, I, I got oh, to a dark place there. I apologize. I'm going to throw one more on you. So yeah, okay. what, we're ha- what we're having right now is section eight. And I was involved with me and a couple other property managers here in town before this got resolved. If you're going to force us to use section eight, which by the way, I'm a fan for the why we're doing it, but there's all of the red tape. And my concern right. was, look, if you're gonna put me through the red tape, someone's gotta be watching over them, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm fine with you know the concept. It's like the city council says, we'll keep an eye on it. They didn't. So we have problems right now where someone will be accepted, section eight, it takes, two months before we have an inspection and we'll get reports that an inspection took place that didn't. 
And then and that's, once they the are Section moved 8 in, qualifying inspection, right? Where they send somebody out to make sure the property qualifies for Section that's 8. Correct. Tenant moves in, we don't see money for another two months. So now I have to have a different conversation with the owner. We are required to accept this, and you have to require it to take four months without seeing any money. Oof. Yeah. So we are trying Especially to work how fast because properties in Columbus, they turn less than 30 days, right? Oh, yeah. Like I two mean, weeks. They're price right. They're ready to go. You know, two, we have 100 to 150 inquiries on each property that we list. Yeah. Yeah, that's challenging. That's yeah, it is. I I was talking to an owner an hour ago before before we did this, and he's got his attorney on there, and I've got my attorney, and I'm I'm trying to navigate this thing, and I'm like, so are you're willing to have this tenant sue you uh, if we don't let them in? And he goes, I think I am, and I go, yeah, but he, you understand he's suing everybody. That means he's going to be suing me. And he's like, yeah, I go, well, then I'm not going to manage the property. You know, it's like it, it's yeah. all of a sudden it's a very different it conversation. A risk assessment. And I, I said, just I just want you to know where I'm coming from. But let's try and navigate this a little bit. And, you know, it's not hmm. policy yet that uh, how we're going to do it. Um, but we're trying to figure this thing out. And meanwhile, sec Section 8 has ebb and flow as far as. You know, they're a problem for a while and then they get good. And then, you know, in six months, it's probably going to get be a lot better because there's a class action lawsuit right now with um, landlords with um, Section 8. Uh, we have tenants that are protesting because they can't get in. They're homeless. They yeah. are living with family, the stress of all that. And, you know, so is this, this is a lawsuit in Columbus? What's that? There's a lawsuit in Columbus? Yeah. Or is it national? It's Columbus? It's just Columbus. Okay. Yeah. Because that's a national program administered by the states. So, yeah. Funded that, locally, though. Funded yeah. locally. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that one will be interesting to see how it shakes out. So let's let's put a pin in that and yeah. I'll come back to you in a couple months, see how the lawsuits go and yeah. see how Section 8 feels. Um. Let's let's do a pivot on there and move away from talking about the rough parts and talk about the good parts. Like, what do you see for Columbus in the next year, five years, ten years? What's your recession call? What do you? I'll put you on the spot. What do you think we're going for, and how will Columbus be affected? We ain't gonna have no recession here. Um, yeah, there's too much going on. Um, it's tight anyway. The market. Um, and I don't know if everybody's heard of Silicon. Heartland that's coming to town. So we've got Silicon Intel. Silicon Heartland. Is that's that the branding? Right. The Silicon <laughs> Heartland. So right. we're, I'm not making it up. Talk no, I me. believe you. I, it's it's a branding question though. It's it's yeah. It's we've got uh the valley, the shore, the desert, and the heartland. The All heartland. Right. That's right. So, so, so who's bringing silicon there? Yeah, the we are going to become so Intel came swooped in um, and bought 3,100 acres. Um, the site is going to be three times the size of Disney. Disney, Disney World, Disneyland. Does it matter? <laughs> Disney World's like a city. Disneyland's like a a, a 
It's it's I mean it's huge either way. It's massive because right. it's going to be one indoor building, right? It's eight buildings. Uh, they're trying eight to get okay. eight buildings. Um, you know, it's like the size of three football fields each, and they start forty feet down. Wow. Um, becoming so they're going to do eight of these plants. I think it's a twenty billion dollar capital investment. Um, three thousand new high tech jobs. Um, it will be the largest manufacturing facility in Ohio, privately, uh, ever. Uh, private <laughs> sector investment in Ohio history. Uh, we're expecting seven thousand construction jobs. Uh, forty additional suppliers coming wow. to town to support Intel. Um, they're pouring $100 million into research and education to build a pipeline of talent. Um, Ohio State was smart enough. They have a whole tech campus that they've been working on. So nice. they are ready for that money. Um, <laughs> we have a billion dollars. We're, we're tra- we have a great airport. They're trash. Yeah. We're starting over. Wow, um, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, huh. um, there's a town that's outside of so if, Intel. So think of Columbus as like a clock, and if you okay. look at it, about uh, two o'clock on the dials where Intel is going to be. Well, just past that is Newark, Mount Vernon, Johnstown, and Johns or Newark. I'm hearing is going to be the largest private airport. In the world, in the nation, just private airport, huh? Private airport for private airport because all these guys are gonna be flying in. Oh wow! Yep. Um, In fact, the the building will be protected airspace, being the largest chip manufacturer in the world. That's amazing. Was this put in place before the Chips Act? The one that. Wants to bring a bunch of that uh, back? They, they announced it, like, was it December or January? And Intel was smart enough to wait to get it passed. And they actually stalled the construction. Said, oh, we ain't doing anything. And, I mean, it's a security issue because, yeah, um, you know, you're dependent on other countries to. Uh, um, For raw materials. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. That's fascinating. So uh, got together, 130 Intel suppliers got together three weeks, uh, three weeks ago, and they said we need you need to be in Ohio. So the actual facility is like a thousand acres. Yeah. The, the other two thousand are for the people to supply Intel. So they're turn around and say, here's the tax package. Yeah. Here's you need to be here. Some of them can be on that that other two thousand acres. Some can be up to an hour away, depending on you know, just in time, um, stuff. Well, I think there's a piece too, that might help make this an even bigger deal. And that's in the inflation reduction act. Some of the benefits for, um, electric vehicles only apply if the vehicles parts are sourced and assembled in the USA. So I don't know if Intel makes any chips for cars, but anyone they partner with or need in the future, that could be a push in their direction to try and keep on those credits. We have a Honda plant here. You know, oh, you don't perfect. think Honda's, uh, uh, they're over Think in Marysville, um, but Honda's here. You know, they've been here for 
30 years, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, uh, everything that was going on in Cleveland and Detroit, you know, big steals, yeah. uh, car industry and, you know, trying to pull those people down. Yeah. Well, that's but, fascinating. Uh, that's... I've heard a private study that they're predicting another million people here in 10 years. That's a lot of people. That's, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Um, that's more than, that's more than a 10% increase. That's like a 15, 20% increase for you guys. Right. Well, uh, according to, um, and that's for the metro are. area. So we're at, on the 2020 consensus, uh, census, uh, we're at nine Oh five. So we're going to double in size. Um, yeah. you know, now at that point we would be just under Houston. If, yeah. If they stay those, the I mean, out of that million, you're probably going to get 25% are going to be in Columbus and then the rest will be in the metro area. Right. Yeah, so it'll, it'll split a little bit. Yeah. I think what's going to happen. I, my vision is, you know how Dallas yeah. Fort Worth is set up and it's kind of become one yeah. city. Yeah. I feel like we've got this Intel thing going on and it's going to be part of this bigger city. Right. Yeah. So uh, people are going to move there. And they're going to go to these secondary towns, you know, for like Newark, Mount Vernon. You heard it here first that some young kid is going to young as anybody younger than me. So it's <laughs> Justin. Um, someone who's 28 years old moves to town. They're like, hey, do you hear they built a brewery over in uh, Newark? Man, let's go live there. Yeah. We, can, we can find a deal for 400000 which, by the way, you can get for one hundred twenty-five grand right now. Um, let's, let's go to Newark cause I don't want to be close to the city or I can always go there if I wanted to. So, yeah. um, the impact is, it is huge. I have a close friend. She's involved with a lot of the architects, like one of the three architects that are part of this whole build out. Um, and imagine the planning of roads and rail and all that stuff that needs to be done correctly. Um, and every time I talk to her, it's, I just keep shaking my head on. She's like, what? you have no idea. I go, I have some idea, but I, it's just hard to grasp yeah. the enormity of what impact it's going to have on central Ohio. Well, I like hearing the planning for the infrastructure, the, the changing of the airport, the kind of looking at roads and, and public transit and that kind of thing. Because I think that's one of the things that Houston still struggles with and Atlanta too. There's some of these bigger cities that grew so organically that they didn't have an opportunity to put in place things that would make them work. Right. I, yeah. I really hope, you know, with you've got government involved, I really hope that everybody hires that one outside firm, you know, for each, you know, and make sure everybody's interests are taken into effect. Let's map this out how this should look. You know, do we have to add another outer belt out here? Where do we get that in? Because I mean, they're talking about they're talking about recreating a whole new city that's yeah. going to cater to the young generation that they need to pull over or keep here in town. Yeah, so work in the plant. What does that look like? What do those individuals want in a community? And it's going to be from scratch, new city that's going to be, there's going to be a cool downtown, 
but all around it's going to be this beautiful new albany is much like that um they you know they decided to build out the city for their employees and it's like um busy land over there white <laughs> fences it's beautiful it's beautiful um but yeah that's amazing i mean that's that's really exciting now for you to sit there and watch columbus grow and then you to help investors out in that space yeah yeah it's very so cool we we currently don't manage in those cities but we're doing studies on you know what rents can go for for one hundred twenty-five thousand, yeah. and it you know with seven thousand workers there was an article this week coming to town in the next nine months um you know am i going to get a call for um you know i'll pay you five hundred dollars a bed for this three bedroom and i'm going to put two people in each bedroom for my electricians yeah um all of a sudden you're getting three grand rent on a hundred twenty five thousand dollar house I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, I am actively looking to buy stuff myself. That's great. So with that, let's kind of pull it to a close. Um, we'll talk more again about this because with what you've said, I think what's happening in Ohio is fascinating. There's a bunch of stuff we didn't get into from, you, you know, you've got some sports teams up in Cleveland and some stuff around in the area, but for Columbus to go in that direction and what it does for entertainment. And then I think the, the, the shifting of weather is something to throw in there and discuss and how that affects the things. But in the whole, it sounds like Columbus has its head on its shoulders straight and is going in the correct direction for working with a public private partnership to develop the city. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I think they've done enough uh, tax incentives, you know, incentivizing for people and for businesses to come here and they've been doing that for ever since i could remember you know 20 years or whatever. so well to wrap up for our listeners i hope you guys got something interesting out of that at the very least i hope you enjoyed the conversation i know i certainly did if you're in the columbus area or if you're not in the columbus area and want to be you can get a hold of mitch at solutions for real estate that's s4re.com is that correct yes it is okay and if you're anywhere else uh, in in California, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and a couple other places, we'll take care of you. And that's poplar.homes slash pod slash pod, poplar.homes slash pod. Thank you very much for the conversation, Mitch. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. I want to interview you. Has anybody <laughs> interviewed you yet? Um, not not on this. If We can do that. We'll set All that right. up and that'll be, we'll flip it over. There you go. I'm going to interview Although, you. I am going to interview my family and talk Ooh. to them about their real estate journey. So oh. they're going to probably spill some tea on me in that conversation. So you'll have a background. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it after you do that one. Perfect. So I, can, so I can dig in on that. Perfect. Let's schedule that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the Poplar Propcast. We hope you enjoyed your time. I know we did. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.